Hey, welcome to conversation number two in our teaching series on planned familyhood. The goal of this series is to understand how we could actually approach every status, every situation, every season of family with intentionality and with significance. Like one of the things we have in common is every single one of us has some appreciation or some experience of family, but all of our experiences are so very different. What would it actually be like if we were to make the most out of every opportunity? We started with conversation number one in which we talked about what it would actually mean to do that and what that actual most looks like, what the best thing that we could be doing with each and every one of our relationships. And so today, today we get to talk about what it means to be significantly single, how to do that with absolute wisdom. And like we said for the rest of these conversations, no one's expecting anyone to just be 24-7 thrilled with the family situation that they're in. But what we're seeking to do is to be intentional about it. Like it's actually given to us for a reason, for a while to do something with it. And singleness, singleness is something that we have all done. Like we've all shared in it. Like before anyone gets married, before anyone had kids, before the first ever nuclear family, we are single. We are born single. We start out single and every single one of our children will be single And so we get to have this conversation because it impacts and it affects us all. And singleness, if we're honest, is something I don't think the culture knows really know what to do with. I don't think it does a very good job of holding it in esteem. And I don't think the church does either. I think too much of singleness is viewed as like a holding pattern or a second best. And constantly the question has been asked, like, when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? But so... Important is singleness. So much do we need to talk about it because we all know that in singleness, some really good things can happen. Like we can be prepared for what's to come next or we can even be prepared to stay in singleness if we do it intentionally. But if not, a lot of bad things can happen. A lot of bad things that are carried with us into future relationships, into status changes. That if we were, if we could go back in time, we would have done our singleness very, very, very very differently. Our core text for the series is Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 17. It says this, it says, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to seek to aim to do is to make the most out of every opportunity in singleness. Because biblical singleness, if you look at it, is actually held in very high esteem. It's actually held up as this beautiful thing that deserves appreciation, like it's God-given. And so if that's true, and if God is going to give some of us singleness, some of us for a season, then what we need to understand is the plan that comes along with it. What God is trying to accomplish through singleness. Paul, who wrote the letter to the Ephesians, which is our core text for the series, also wrote a letter to a city in in Greece called Corinth. And we get the Corinthian letters from it, in which he seeks to understand and explain to them why singleness is good and what there could be in it. If anyone's ever going to share in his own status of singleness, what they should be looking for. In 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35, he says this, He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. 
But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place a restriction on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. See, what it's saying is being single should actually allow for the majority of life's concerns, worries, and distractions to be removed. Oftentimes it's not, because oftentimes we're spending too much time trying to escape singleness. But like we talked about in conversation number one, if we can escape the need, the desperation of changing our status, then we can find ourselves free, very free and undistracted and unconcerned about things that might take our eyes off what is most important. You see, marriage is a distraction. And please, for the love of Pete, don't go home and tell your spouse that Maddie called her a distraction to the life you should be living. Like, I want you to stay married and I don't want to get yelled at. But when we're married, we have to share our focus. Because if we're going to do marriage well, then that means that we're going to actually pour a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of affection and love into this other human being. This is going to be the greatest relationship we're ever going to have on earth. And so we're going to make sure we do it well. And simple math simply states that that means that your interests are going to be divided between this person and God. You see, for the single Jesus believer, for the single person who wants to love God and love people, they get to have sole focus on doing all the things that God wants them to do, all the works that would please him without having to focus on another human being so intensely. I pitched it out to Facebook a while ago and said, you know, what are the best things about being single? We've got some stuff like, you know, the freedom that comes with being single. Uh, you can be more spontaneous when you're single. There's independence there. Uh, some of the funnier ones were that you don't have to get woken up with someone else's snoring and you get to have the bed for yourself. So if that's the best we can come up with, singleness isn't too great. It just basically means you're going to get a good night's sleep. But you see, what we're actually looking for in singleness is this idea that there is more freedom. There is more independence, the ability to be more spontaneous, to do the things that actually matter, that, that matter to God. There's more time, there's more space, there's more energy, and there's fewer restrictions. There's fewer restrictions on a person, and they can live more simply guided to what matters most. And so if the Lord is their sole focus with fewer distractions, that that's what they can do. And that's what Paul wants for you. It's what God wants for you. In 1 Corinthians 7.35, he says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord the best with as few distractions as possible. He's not saying don't date. He's not saying don't be married. He's saying if those things are going to go for, fine. But I just want what's best for you. Whatever is going to be help you do that the best. But oftentimes we view singleness and we, in, the, in the wrong light and we waste it. Through an immature view on what biblical singleness is, we waste it. And we don't take the time to deal with it properly. We spend most of our time trying to get away from it. All Paul's really asking is, what if we used it? Like, what if we actually believed what the Bible says about singleness? And what if we actually intentionally utilized it for the advancement of the kingdom of God? Because if what is actually in the Bible is true, 
If it's true when we believed it and we live like we believed it, it would mean that people like us who are married, we would have to get off our high horses thinking we're somehow better than singles. And we would actually have to appreciate and love and encourage and nurture these singles like they have this beautiful gift given by God to go and do his work. And it would also mean that if we believed this, those of us who do find ourselves single, we would have to stop leaning back on this whole idea that we're somehow waiting for something, that we're second class, that we're, we're not there yet, that when we get married, then, then things will be good. Like once we got married, then we can share the gospel with someone. And once we're married, then we can do ministry. Like it, it's not bad to want those things. It's just kind of biblically bad to waste time waiting for them and not doing the things that we're here to do. What we're supposed to do is in any status, any situation, that we would actually make the most out of every opportunity. And the opportunities to be found in singleness are great. And so what do we do with this? If we find ourselves and we're a single person or we see that our kids are maybe sooner rather than later, maybe going to be wondering about changing that status, is, is what do we do? How do we be single in a way that is making the most out of every opportunity? Well, in my extensive research and my just massive opinion, I found that I think there's three ways to be single. Three like single statuses, if you will. And some, not very many, but some will do the third, the third way to be single. A few people, maybe a few more will will go after the second. But if we're not all super careful, by default, we will be drawn into being the first kind of single, the worst kind of single. And so if you find yourself single now or you've got friends who need this advice, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this next chunk and I want you to sit in it. I want it to resonate. I want you to know what it is that you're going to do. Because here's the first way to be single. The first single status is playing. Playing. Playing single is the most juvenile way to be single. It's the most uh, unintentional way to be single. It's also the way of being single that does the most damage. And I'll be honest with you right up front, this is the way I did singleness. All the way up until being married, I was playing. Basically what it means is it's an unintentionality. It's, it's a lack of actually trying to grow. It's a lack of trying to prepare yourself. It's just playing. It's being lethargic and apathetic towards relationships. And for some of us, it means that we spend our teenage years or our 20s just playing the field. For a lot of us, it means we spend our 20s and 30s playing house. And all, all we know is that it's just not a good plan. And one of the things that happens is when we're just playing around in our singleness is that we actually get some things started that we're not ready to deal with. The Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon that you find in the Old Testament, the Bible, is just this whole book dedicated to passion and romance. And, and right at the beginning of it, there's a warning given, a warning and a plea given to those of us who are single, those single people, not to get too far ahead of themselves. In Song of Songs 2.7, it says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer, not to awaken love until the time is right. Don't get stirred up. Don't get fired up. Don't get ready to act on passion until you actually can act on it in an honorable way. The problem that most of us have in our singleness is that we, we do stir it up. We do awaken it before it's good. And there are things out there like pornography that just grab the heart and mind of too many of us and leave us with no way to express that in an honorable fashion. 
There are romance novels and Hallmark movies, just innocuous things that honestly can have a great and profound impact on us when it comes to passion, it comes to love. And of course, when we start to be intimate with someone else, when we start to move around the bases and when we have sex before lifelong commitment, what actually happens is we're poisoning our singleness. We're tainting this state that we're supposed to be in and be okay being in and making ourselves desperate to escape it. And the most difficult thing that singles are growing up in now, the culture that they find themselves in, is that they're being told that that's okay. They're being told that that's very, very normal, that pornography is normal, that promiscuity is normal, and it's okay, and it won't cause you pain. But it will, and it does. If you've been on this earth a while, you know that the decisions that we make in singleness, they carry forward with us, the good and the bad. My wife and I, Jackie and I, we both played around in our singleness and we did it for very, very different reasons. I did it because I thought pursuing relationships and conquering relationships and having sex were going to be the best thing that we could ever experience on this earth. Jackie played in her singleness because she just wanted to be wanted. She wanted to be captivating. She wanted to be desired. And so because of that, we both watched things that we should not have watched. We both kissed people we shouldn't have kissed, had sex with people we shouldn't have had sex with, and we defaulted to the train tracks of this world that we were told if we just kept on it would be perfectly fine, but ended in a crash and ended in pain. It wasn't okay. And we have to live with the consequences of the decisions we made. There are a lot of us that wish we could change that because we didn't have a plan. Benjamin Franklin once said, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. And no plan in your singleness will only ever lead you to pain. Playing around with sexual immorality will take you places you don't want to go, to think about things you don't want to have to think. And if that's you, and you kind of really know if that is you in your singleness, like that's just not God's plan. And I just don't mind saying it unashamed. It's just not what he wants for you. Singleness. Singleness is supposed to be a time in which we can have more time focused on him to understand what he wants for our lives, to be captivated by him and to know that he sees us as beautiful. He sees us as worthwhile. You see, for those of us who want to love God and love people, we want to make the most of every opportunity. And if we are playing, if you know you're playing, the only good step you can take is to stop playing. The second way to be single, we've got playing, And we've got pursuing. Now, pursuing is the way to go intentionally, wisely, out of singleness and into a relationship. Like this is where you actually want to do it well and honor everyone on the way there. The first question I would have you ask is if you're going to do this, if you're going to be pursuing, is to ask yourself the question, do I want to love them? Not do I want to have a bit of fun or do I want to see where it is going? Do I want to love them? I once heard Rabbi Abraham Tversky say that we get love confused and we can take love and actually twist it because you can say, oh, that I I, I love fish, for example. But if we love fish, what we actually mean is we love catching fish, killing fish, cooking them and eating them. And what we really work out is that we didn't actually love the fish. What we loved is what we could get from it. See, love isn't about taking 
Love isn't about seeing what you can get from it. If you actually loved fish, you would guard them and you would feed them. If you loved flowers, you wouldn't pick them. You would water them and nurture them. And if you loved a person, you would want to give to them, not to see what you could take, not trying to take sex from them, not trying to make sure that they save you from loneliness, not getting them to serve you, not having them provide you with some kind of status. To love something is to give to it. And so the first question really is, do I want to love this person? And say you do. Say you're in a situation like, yes, I want to love this woman and I want to make her my wife. I want to love this man and I want to make him my husband. Then we can actually go after loving them well. If that's your answer is yes, you want to love them. If your answer is not yes, I want to love them, then you don't get to pursue Then at that point, you have to choose between number one, which is playing, or number three, which is what we'll get to. But if you do want to love that person, then you pursue them, and you pursue them in such a way. You frame the relationship in such a way that it is always going to be honorable, not one that takes. Now, I get the opportunity to give my humble advice to people who are starting out in relationships. And honestly, since COVID-19 hit, there's been a lot of those opportunities to give that advice. And I like to give them the same advice that the Apostle Paul gave to his surrogate son, Timothy, on how to pursue and how to have any kind of relationship ever with a member of the opposite sex. I have them usually go and find it for themselves, read it for themselves, and then come talk to me about it. This is the advice that that he gives to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 5.2, treat older women as you would your mother and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sister. This is a really good one for those who are asking the question, hey, what can we do before marriage? And you're like, okay, let's go to 1 Timothy 5.2. You read that out loud. Now you tell me what you can do. Because you see, if we are pursuing a relationship, any relationship you could ever have with another woman will be one of three. It will be that she is your wife, she is your sister, Oh, she's your mom. And if she is not yet your wife, and she won't be your wife until you've made a lifelong commitment to her in marriage, if she's not your wife, she's your sister. And at that point, you make the decision. You make the decision about how you want your sister treated and what you think would be an appropriate amount of intimacy with this woman. Say that you are pursuing a man, you're pursuing a husband. He'll only ever have three identities and three ways to be treated honorably. He's either your husband, he's your brother, or he's your dad. And if you're pursuing this person and they're not yet your husband, like you've not yet given them a lifelong commitment in marriage, then that's your brother. And now with that, you get to decide how you would want your brother treated and how you are going to now say that it's appropriate for you to be with them in any level of intimacy. See, this is actually how we pursue love and how we pursue a relationship out of singleness with doing no harm. We do it by saying that we actually want to love them so we don't take from them. We actually want to give to them. We want to honor them. We want to honor ourselves and we want to honor God. That's actually how you set up a relationship to win. Because marriage is supposed to be a mutually submissive relationship out of reverence for Christ. And we're going to hit a lot more on that in our next conversation. But you get to prepare that in how you pursue that. The third and final way that you can do singleness is palling. Not appalling, but 
appalling. And I know this is a terrible butchering of English, but I just, I like patterns. You've got playing, pursuing, and palling. And palling means to do what Paul did, to act like Paul did, and to believe in singleness like Paul believes in it, that it's what you're going to stick with. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9, that he wishes everyone were single just as he is. He says, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. See, Pauling is a lifestyle of singleness. It's not pursuing and it's not playing and it's for few people because few people can handle it. Few people can take the attitude of singleness. But whatever it is, Paul's not saying like, don't date, don't marry. What he's saying is whatever helps you serve the Lord best, it's not forced on anyone and it's not done begrudgingly. It's those rare few individuals that have so much devotion and love for the gospel, so much desire to spend all of their time on God that they just cannot see a romantic relationship fitting into that. See, Paul, he planted dozens of churches and he went to jail and he was stoned and he was beaten and he was killed before his time. None of those things really fit in to the raising and nurturing of a family. And so he says, I wish everyone could do this and be single and put all their devotion and time into serving the Lord, but not all of them can. So some should get married and some should not. See, in all of these instances, the choice is given to you and how you're going to decide to be single, how you're going to teach your children to be single. And we only really ever get to do the one that we choose proactively or reactively. There's one of them that will do great harm in which we choose to play. The other two have the ability to make the most out of every opportunity. And so planned singleness, planned singleness is choosing to do it well, to do singleness with honor, to do it with integrity, to do it with actual love. For those of us who actually wanna love God and love people and be wise, we go back to Ephesians 5, 15. And through 17, that says, be careful how you live. Don't be foolish, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's all we want from singleness, is to really understand what the Lord wants us to do with it. And so here's your proactive, here's, here's your practical steps to take. If you find yourself single and you know that you're playing, the step for you to take is to stop. Just stop playing. That's another human being that you're having an impact on, that you're feeding lies to about their worth and their identity. Stop playing the field. Stop playing house. If you're a believer in Jesus, you want to love God and love people, you have no right to take something from someone that does not belong to you. So stop the playing. If you think that you want to pursue a relationship, then do it and pursue it with honor. Treat every single woman until she's your wife like she's your sister with all purity in a way that you would be proud of how she's being treated by you. Or if that's not on the cards for you right now, then do what Paul did and use more and more of your time, more and more of your time towards the thing that matter to God. Do your utmost to serve and to love and to build the kingdom. 
And in all these instances, don't spend your time just trying to escape singleness. God has given you some cast iron things that if you followed them, will lead to solid relationships and an honorable way of loving God and loving people. So ask for advice from people who are single and ask advice from people who are not. Ask advice from couples and, and set boundaries, set things in place and choose. Choose for yourself how it is that you're going to be single. And for the rest of us, let's do a better job of honoring these people. Let's do a better job of championing these people, not just asking them when they're going to escape singleness and when they're going to settle down and when they're going to do what you did, but actually seek to encourage them. Give them companionship. Being single can be lonely. And so serve them and love them in that way that helps them be more free and more available to follow and pursue the singleness that God has called them to. And with your children, don't be afraid. It's never too early to start talking about relationships in one way or another. This is a great chance that we get to have to raise the next generation in a way that we weren't, some of us. And if we were, that we get to pass that down the line. Our next conversation in this series is going to be about marriage. What marriage is intended for and why and how we make the most out of it. But before we move to that, let me just say it again. If we're going to make the most out of every opportunity, it will mean making the most out of our singleness, of understanding what God wants us to do. So do what most want and learn to love God and love people better and better and better. Let me pray for us. Father God, I ask that you would help every single one of us value singleness the way that you value it. Help us not to get distracted and turned and changed into the way that everyone else is doing it, but help us see your value for it. That if we are, if we are single, we will take that mantle and we will choose to do everything with it, making the most out of it that we can. And if we're not, we will speak to those people with reverence. We'll speak to those people with respect and we will seek to delight in what God has given them an opportunity for singleness right now. God, I ask you, no matter what it is or where situation we are in, that we would make the most out of every opportunity in these evil days. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.